This is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and the leader of adoption and training here at Allidade. Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast that explores the transformation of American healthcare from the point of view of one company trying to be part of that change. This is Josh Israel. I'm a medical director at Allidade. Today we'll be talking to Tyler Blanchard. Tyler is the executive director of the Delaware Accountable Care Organization. This was Allidade's first accountable care organization, but Allidade as a company now works with more than 20 different ACOs in more than 20 different states, so it's particularly interesting to hear about his experience working with a group of physicians who've been at this a relatively long time. I really liked hearing how Tyler's background wasn't really a perfect fit for his current job, but he's undeniably excellent at it. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people working in the startup world, but also in these new models of care. There really wasn't any way to be experienced in this work when it didn't even exist a few years ago. I really enjoyed this interview, and you'll learn about how an ACO is structured and managed, and how he deals with some of the many barriers anyone faces when trying to make a big change in the U.S. healthcare system. And thanks to our producers, Aaron Wang and Francis Bentley, and to Tim Andreasich for our great theme music. today with Tyler Blanchard. Uh, Tyler, you're the executive director of Allidade's ACO in Delaware. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what prepared you for this role? Sure. So I joined Allidade in late 2014 and uh, at the time I joined there actually was no executive director uh, role uh, in the company. There were just a dozen employees here and um, and now we have executive directors across uh, over 20 markets. So. Uh, I think every executive director at Allidade has had a different background before joining. I don't think this job really existed more than a few years ago, so it's been a fun learning experience. Um, before I came here, I was involved in healthcare IT consulting, so I worked with large uh, health systems to implement EHRs um, and patient portals uh, and HIEs. So I got really familiar with the intersection of healthcare and technology and got really excited when I learned about what Allidade was doing on population health uh, side and uh, putting that data to use in practices to make patients healthier. Tyler, thanks for uh, thanks for that background and on your uh, experience prior to Allidate. It's, we've had uh, several folks who've had EHR um, on the tech side uh, in, deep in their background. Do you think uh, do you think that's really contributed to your ability to jump right in here at Allidate? Yeah, I think the tech piece is a large part of what we do, understanding uh, how our tech works and uh, how it should be used in the field um, has been really helpful. Um, seeing the evolution of our tech product too, in the very beginning it was just a wellness visit work list and that was all we had. Um, and seeing all of the robust features that have been developed over the years has been really neat. And just talking about where you're based, you're based in Delaware, right? So I am actually based out of our headquarters office in Bethesda, okay. uh, but I spend a good uh, couple of days every week out in Delaware, um, supporting the field team and uh, driving partnerships in uh, in the state. And Delaware is known for many things. Um, I, I was recently there for a vacation with my kids. Um, Beaches. Yes, it was lovely. We had a fantastic time. Um, but it's also the first state to accept uh, the new U.S. Constitution, the Constitution State, if you see a Delaware license plate. 
Um, and it's also where we set up our first accountable care organization. Um, what a, is there something in the water there in Delaware that makes them open to this stuff? Is it the beaches? Is it the... I think so. Delaware yeah. likes to be first uh, in line with everything it does, and uh, ACOs are no exception. So uh, we're excited to have our first Allidate ACO out in Delaware. Um, back in 2014, we had uh, 13 practices join us, and it's grown over time now to 22 practices statewide. So I'm sure different accountable care organizations set up their organizational structures differently. Ours starts with the executive director um, locally running them. Can you talk through what that position entails? Yeah, so executive director, you know, at its most basic is in charge of profit and loss for a market. So we look at the costs, the staffing, um, and the initiatives, but we also focus on the strategy for the market and every ACO has a different strategy based on what's happening locally on the ground. Uh, for Delaware, a lot of our strategy has been focused on um, specialist partnerships. There's opportunity there for us as well as um, hospital partnerships. Um, we also look for new uh, pilot opportunities such as uh, end-of-life care, which Dr. Israel, you've been helping us with a lot this year. Um, and that's been really important to Delaware's success. Um, executive directors also focus on the practices, ensuring that they're happy with us, mm -hmm. ensuring that those that aren't happy uh, have uh, some solutions. Being in charge of happiness is probably not an easy job. It's not, uh, especially for someone without uh, the background you probably have <laughs> that, that might lend itself more to the happiness levels. But, you know, we're uh, setting the strategic plan and ensuring that we're executing against it, um, conducting the, the month monthly board meetings and, and growing our network over time. And I've always thought of the Allidade model as akin to federalism in the U.S. government. You know, we have market autonomy, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, where you and your fellow executive directors um, have a significant amount of say in how things work. You talked a little bit about strategy setting, but can you talk a bit about the kind of local autonomy you have to understand what healthcare uh, and value-based healthcare means in Delaware versus one of our other markets. Sure. So in Delaware specifically, we have um, you know some state-level efforts that have been really unique. Um, we know that the um, reimbursement levels are not uh, typical in Delaware when you look at the commercial payers. Uh, so we've done some uh, efforts to. Uh, support our primary care providers in uh, legislating a solution for that issue. But not typical, you mean that they are underpaid? They are underpaid, mm -hmm. so we rarely see the commercial reimbursement levels below Medicare and below Medicaid like we do in Delaware. Hmm. And who is below Medicare? It's below Medicaid even. Below Medicaid. Wow. Mm -hmm. So uh, helping uh, lean into that issue has been key in Delaware. Um, we also uh, collaborate with um, you know, Bayada Home Health, for example, who's been a great partner in Delaware and helping us uh, be successful at managing high-risk patients inside of the patient homes where sometimes the primary care provider doesn't have as much reach, um, as well as the Delaware Health Information Network, the DIN, has been key to our success in Delaware. Uh, they provide us with real-time alert notifications when our patients are coming and going from various care settings such as the emergency room, hospitals, and SNFs. Um, and that's been uh, hugely instrumental in our success. Mm -hmm. Great. Now, healthcare is, is very complex. I don't have to tell you that. And you talked about choosing some things to work on, whether it's end of life or specialist referrals. How do you, how do you pick your spots? You know, there's so much room for improvement in the system. 
Yeah, and this is one of the things we've learned over the years is uh, to not try to boil the ocean. I think we uh, always want to focus on everything, and it takes a lot of mm -hmm. restraint to um, you know, turn down that pilot opportunity that looks really flashy, but uh, maybe we just don't have the time or the resources to give it its full um, you know, potential there. Um, so focusing on the basics is something we returned to uh, last year and just said, hey, if we're not uh, maximizing our annual wellness visits to uh, ensure that every patient is receiving those as a key preventive service, you know, are we vaccinating properly? Are our quality measures as high as they could be? Um, are we catching every patient coming out of the hospital? These are our core initiatives that we need to be really successful at before we start thinking outside the box too much. Uh, and so that's really where we focus. Mm -hmm. the bread and butter. The bread and the butter. Yeah. Blocking and tackling. Whatever metaphor you want to use, right? Um, <laughs> metaphor du jour. Exactly. Exactly. We love metaphors here. Um, so in thinking back uh, to our initial discussion about how the executive director role works and how markets are arranged, um, you have a board that you're accountable to within your ACO, is that mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Can you talk us through the structure of that board and what your interactions with them look like? Yeah, so we have a physician-led board structure in all of our ACOs, um, and in Delaware we meet monthly, uh, and every practice that's a member of our ACO has a seat or one or more seats on the board. Um, the board meetings are designed to share exactly how the ACO is doing at any given time based on uh, all of the data we have access to. Um, we show practices exactly how they compare to their peers, who's excelling and who has some opportunities. Um, and we uh, have d robust discussions on um, where our opportunities are and what we should be doing uh, to address them. Um, we get kind of into a higher level discussion so we can pick our heads up out of the day-to-day the -day, um, and think about where we are as a group overall and where we want to get to and then how we're going to get there. And do the physicians feel like they run the board? You know, what's, what's the sense of those meetings? They do. So we bring uh, the data and the discussion framework, and then we uh, open up the discussions to the physicians to make the decisions. Mm -hmm. So whenever we have a board vote, it's, you know, it's 22 practices uh, plus an allotted vote and a beneficiary representative vote. Tyler, one thing I found interesting uh, is having a board made up of providers, as you said, from the practices within the ACL. Um, when I was in business school, I took a whole course just on board dynamics in the corporate setting and what that looks like and had CEOs and other members of prominent boards of directors come in and speak about it. And when I heard about that structure at Allidate, I found it really interesting. Do you find that your providers um, do they take to that role? Is there a learning curve? You've, you've done it the longest of anybody here at Allidate, so I'm curious how that dynamic has been, specifically working with providers on a board. Yeah, it's certainly not uh, what our providers went to med school to do, so board you know, activities are new to them, and I think um, that uh, we try to keep it simple so we're not uh, getting hung up on parliamentary procedure or the, you know, the bureaucratic elements of running a board, but uh, really use the board meetings as a forum for uh, open discussion and ensuring that the desires of the providers are uh, followed and that we're making decisions as a group. I'm sure they bring an interesting perspective to it, you know, and uh, it, having one of the, the 
people that I had lectures by in business school led the board of directors at a very large uh, New York City hospital. And his biggest complaint is that at a big, flashy board, particularly in a nonprofit, um, you get squatters, you know, people who are just personalities and don't really add anything. So when he took over, he runs a large private equity fund in, in Manhattan. Um, the first thing he did on his board was recruit people who had been on boards before. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and some of those were doctors who'd been on local boards mm-hmm. in New York City. So um, not without precedent, depending on the scale, certainly. I think our most successful board meetings are the ones where the providers are speaking the majority of the time. Uh, That's where Allidaid really learns what's going on on the ground. I think we have great understanding of the health policy world and we understand what the literature illustrates, but we don't always um, have that uh, boots on the ground understanding of what the implications are when we're thinking through different pilots and initiatives. And that comes directly from our physicians through the board. So you, you run the first accountable care organization to ever achieve uh, shared savings in Delaware, is that right? That's right. No, well done, first off. Congratulations. That's, yeah, congratulations. It's a big achievement in 2017. And now we know, Josh and I in particular, uh, know that did not come easily. <laughs> like we talked about the challenges of care management. Um, this is a, It's a tough, complex process in general to do this. So um, knowing what you know now and having been successful at it, can you take us through some of the challenges and, and how you think you got there? Yeah, so... The, one of the Allidade uh, philosophies here is, is grit uh, and owning it. And I think that the grit is really what uh, got us all the way to success in 2017 uh, in year three of our operations. So um, little by little, we saw progress. Uh, year one, um, we were able to bend the cost curve in Delaware, uh, which was on a steep upward trajectory when we uh, stepped into that state, something we didn't know until Uh, we were there and uh, uh, were able to flatten that out uh, in the year one. And then in the second year, we saw that continue to bend and and coming down. Um, And and it was in year three when we finally crossed into um, below our minimum savings rate and achieved shared savings. Um, The uh, maturity of our solutions has uh, grown exponentially uh, over time, as well as the capabilities of our practices. These are large larger changes that we're driving in these practices than anything that has you know come their way before um, so it's it takes a lot of time to open up um, access for patients and ensure that um, the highest risk patients have someone assigned um, to manage their care um, and is there a workflow in place to follow patients through the hospitals and who's been in the ER lately and which of those patients do we need to worry about um, these are fundamental um, roles inside of primary care that, that did not used to exist, and uh, we've uh, been helping our practices expand those services over time. It just it takes a lot of hard work, uh, and kudos to all of our physicians and uh, care managers and staff supporting uh, in Delaware that, that got us across the finish line. Yeah, on the same topic, we talk a lot at Allenade about providers who have one foot on the dock of fee-for-service care and the other foot in a boat that's trying to sail to value-based care and that that boat really isn't going to go anywhere. Was that a factor in in the slow initial progress of the work in Delaware? Absolutely. We we know that it's hard to jump into a boat that you don't know is seaworthy um, yet. So I love it. (laughs) (laughs) 
proving that the, the ship will sail um, was something we uh, couldn't do until now. And now we have proven that the model works. And uh, uh, over the last three years, though, it's taken uh, belief uh, from our physicians to really believe this is possible and to see that the trend lines were all pointing in the right direction, but that, um, that it just takes time to get there. How did you tell that story? How did you keep folks motivated through that process? Because um, that certainly isn't easy. Yeah, and you know we didn't keep everyone in the boat the whole time too, which is a, a difficult part of running an ACO. Um, some folks have decided not to be in that boat um, partway through, and they've they've jumped out. Um, and that's important to allow that as a path forward because uh, skeptical folks remaining uh, in the group can and not rowing the boat can actually hinder the success of the whole group. Um, but, you know, it's really been taking it quarter by quarter, um, showing data. Uh, we capture as much data as we can, and the, and the Medicare quarterly reports have been key in just showing us trends over time, and showing that it's working, um, that it, it takes a lot of time, but we, we do a little bit here on the emergency room side, and then the next quarter we'll see some nice trends on the skilled nursing side. Uh, and then our readmission rate will come down and eventually everything will align. And you, it sounds like, I mean, we know data is a big part of what we do here, but it, from what you're saying, really telling that story effectively with data um, and being flexible um, is what, it, what I heard you say there. Yeah. Um, do you have any best practice? I know you're an Excel whiz. I've had you fix, <laughs> I've had you fix my Excel on at least one occasion. So I know I'm, I have good, on good authority myself. Love Excel. Um, What's your, give me some top tips for telling these stories with data, because I, you know, I run the training team here and that's an ongoing challenge for us. How do you make this approachable for people? You know, we're getting better and better at um, making sure our data is actionable and shared um, very generously. Uh, you know, I think our physicians always want to know exactly how they're doing and we've always had a nice component of our board meetings where we go through our quarterly trends uh, and some of our core initiatives such as wellness visits and transitional care management um, at the practice level uh, but what we're really focusing on now is how can we get uh, practice level data concisely into the hands of the physicians um, at very regular interval intervals that shares maybe not just our very core initiatives but how are your quality measures doing and uh, what is your expected shared savings revenue actually look like based on um, our current performance and the formula that's used to share the savings? Um, so we're uh, continuing to develop better tools to share data out there, but uh, I think that's key. You know, if a, a physician partner doesn't understand where they need to focus, uh, we shouldn't expect them to uh, improve. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, since skeptical doctors um, it might not always work. We don't um, have those in Delaware. Yeah. yeah, right, right. That I, I mean, I suppose some skepticism would work fine, but just to the point where they're they're not trying um, to provide value-based care. When you're talking to doctors about joining the ACO, what, what do you look for? You know, we, we look at these QR, UR, these reports talking about some of their quality before they join, but what's on your mind when you're thinking about bringing in a new practice? Yeah, um, I think the data is important and we have to make sure there is an opportunity on the data side, but I think even more important than that is, does the physician have a willingness to um, keep an open mind about the future of healthcare um, and 
some of the payment reform that's that's causing payments to switch to value-based um, are they open to that idea are they open to putting in the work to improve their wellness visit scores and uh, improve some of their quality measures um, or uh, or do they want to get paid first um, if you want to get paid first that's called fee-for-service and uh, that's not what we do yeah in, in that vein, uh, as you recruit doctors, what do you think about uh, in terms of Validate's offering um, that makes their lives easier? You know, I know that you ha- your market has led the, the way at Validate in um, things like group purchasing for vaccines and things like that. What else in that vein are you adding to make, to improve this process for providers? Yeah, that's been a great learning experience in Delaware. When we started out, we thought of ourselves as a uh, ACO only. We're a group of independent primary care physicians who are participating in an ACO. And over time, we've sort of expanded the definition of who we are uh, based on asks from our doctors. And they said, you know, we're having challenges purchasing vaccines at affordable prices. And we're really feeling like we're getting ripped off on medical malpractice uh, coverage. Uh, Are these things that we could address since we are a group of physicians? maybe outside of of ACO work. And um, we have done that. We've rolled out a medical malpractice group purchasing option recently, and we've uh, rolled out a vaccine group purchasing option. Uh, And we're looking at other ways that we can um, ease the burden of uh, delivering care so that our doctors can focus on what's important, uh, which is treating the patients. Yeah, we talked to Farzad earlier, and one of the things he pointed out was that one of the side effects of this whole thing was sort of recreating medical communities for doctors who were previously more siloed. It's a nice thing. Yeah, they haven't had a collective voice before, and they haven't been able to organize in ways uh, to achieve some of these things before now. So you mentioned the the issue with commercial payers underpaying Medicare and Medicaid, and that Allidate had a hand in a legislative fix, which was really impressive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mentioned a little earlier that Delaware is unusual and that the commercial payers were reimbursing at rates that were below the Medicare and Medicaid levels uh, in the state. Um, that uh, we saw the downstream effects of very clearly, and there's very high turnover inside of our practices. Um, some practices were unable to make payroll. Um, many of them have uh, you know, tapped the equity in their personal homes to be able to pay their staff. Wow, that's uh, terrible. It is. Um, uh, some some providers missed six paychecks uh, last year. Um, so, what we when we dug a little deeper, we noticed this underlying uh, fee schedule issue, and uh, some of our physicians weren't even aware that this was the cause um, or that this was unusual. Um, we have uh, kind of a national uh, outlook here at Allied where we can see some of the trends like that and. So we're wondering why these practices are seeing full patients loads. They're not accepting any new patients because their schedules are full, uh, but they can't make payroll. So um, we partnered with the Medical Society of Delaware, who um, has really taken the lead on this effort, um, as well as Senator Townsend and Representative Bentz, uh, some legislators that run the health committees uh, in the state government. Um, and we brought the physicians to the table and said, you know, here's what's going on on the physician side of the fence. Um, you know, we, we spoke to the payers first and asked uh, what kind of solutions we could come to uh, on that side. And 
uh, in the end, uh, weren't able to make progress there, so the legislative solution was, was put in place. Did you get any pushback at these hearings or anywhere else from the payers, from the insurance companies? Certainly. Um, raising the rates on the insurance companies is never something the insurance companies are excited to do, and so uh, they, were, they were opposed to uh, mandating higher rates. Uh, and one of the ways this was appeased was by making the legislative solution a three-year uh, band-aid. And the bill also uh, forms a uh, primary care reform collaborative to study long-term solutions and put something in place that will be appealing to all parties involved. Now, was that a new thing? Have you ever done that before? Is that new for you? I knew nothing about uh, government before. I told you I was an IT guy before right. this. So, uh, uh, learning uh, population health and uh, local government, you know, state government uh, as well. Here you're earning your Allidain stripes. There's a lot of former government folks here. So. Yeah, I leaned on a lot of them for, for advice. And, uh, it's, been, it's been a great learning experience and really successful. I mean, the votes were unanimous. Um, the, the governor signed. It was just clear um, that this was an uh, important problem that needed to be solved. That's fascinating. So, you know, it sounds like that was a huge success, at least in the near term. What else are you working on now? Like, what are you, I know you guys are always trying to get better. Um, what's your, where's your brain at now in Delaware? You know, we uh, need to continue to achieve shared savings year after year. Uh, we're now in a two-sided risk ACO in Delaware, which is um, uh, exciting. It means we can keep more of the savings that we earn, but it also means that if we're going the opposite direction on costs, we have uh, potential paybacks that we need to be worried about. So um, the stakes are real now. We can't let off the gas. Um, we can't uh, let go of the basics uh, in terms of getting those annual wellness visits done and um, ensuring that we're looking at where our patients are receiving specialist care and ensuring that's the highest value option for them. Um, continuing to reduce emergency room utilization that's unnecessary. Um, we're really partnering with skilled nursing facilities this year for the first time, which is really exciting. Um, they've uh, began sharing uh, more data around where uh, ACO patients are at any given time, uh, coming and going from the skilled nursing setting, and uh, we're putting some boots on the ground uh, in the SNFs to actually share records back and forth and ensure patients have safe transitions um, in and out of the skilled nursing setting. Um, and we've also been engaging uh, the retinal surgeons around the state to discuss some of the Part B drugs um, that are in use. And that's another effort we'll be pushing uh, forward uh, for the rest of this year and into next. That's great. Onward. <laughs>